of course, we have certain type of investment criteria and requirement to the early stage startups. A lot of things are included on that. One of the main, I mean, one of the key criteria is that whether they have a strong vision to go to the global market, you know, mm. not only in their domestic market, even even though like the nation is very much so big nation, but mm-hmm. we have to, you know, uh, we, we have to have their startups like having the strong vision to go to the global market. That, mm-hmm. That's a very much one of the key, you know, mm-hmm. criteria mm-hmm. Uh, we have mm-hmm. uh, when we work with uh, such type of startups in emerging markets. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. One of the current topics they talk, we listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper? Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. My guest today has worn a number of hats and continues to do so in a number of geographies and continents. He is a C-suite with a background in trading, investment, marketing and consulting, holding pivotal roles until he established his own company based in Greater Japan. A knowledgeable speaker and a country representative for trade and investment, he wields influence both in virtual spaces and face-to-face interactions. Join us in this new series on Talk, where we engage with individuals spearheading conversations in this dynamic space. But before we get into that, here's a brief message. This episode is sponsored by Axia. Axia is the leading private cloud platform in the Alessian and Matamos ecosystem, combining intelligent solutions with security and control. Axia's clients profit from digitalization and automation of critical business processes in a cloud and hybrid architecture. 150 staff provide migration, engineering and support services to over 200 leading organizations in 32 countries. Heads Talk podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Hiroyuki Ito is the founder, CEO, and president of One Bloom Corporation. With a foundation laid in Sumitomo Corporation, Fortune 500 global trading and business investment firm, he embarks on a distinguished career in international trading, marketing, and sales, holding a pivotal position as a market and industry leader between Japan and ASEAN as well as East Asia. Hiroyuki spearheads business activities in the automotive steel sheet industry. He played a pivotal role in the success of the conglomerated companies' ventures in Southeast Asia and East Asian nations, overseeing a diverse portfolio of corporate customers and managing values totaling in the hundreds of millions of US dollars annually. Hiroyuki spent a period in the consulting world at Deloitte before establishing One Blue Corporation. Beyond his corporate ventures, he is a prolific newsletter creator, author, and publisher of Essence of Global Businesses with a substantial global readership. As a public speaker and country representative for Japan at global events like the African Trade and Investment Global Summit, he continues to make a significant impact on the international stage, garnering 
a substantial following on platforms like LinkedIn. Let's now have a conversation. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Hiroyuki to Heads Talk. Delighted to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Elaine, for inviting me here. I'm uh, pretty much pleasure to, to start yeah, deeply uh, talking about the topic we set today. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. You know, in, in doing my research on you and your work, it was a case of where do I start? You know, what questions do I ask you and what? You've been involved in, in, in some way or another, various sectors, um, industry lines, tech, geographical locations, coupled with a lot of work on marketing, trading media, you know, speaking engagements, venture activities, etc. This series has afforded me the opportunity to refine my inquiries, um, concentrating specifically on the domain of finance and directing attention towards a particular region. Bearing this focus in mind, the first question is, uh, what are you doing now? And tell my listeners about your company, the company you founded. Oh, yes. Um, I would just uh, simply uh, introduce and talk about that, uh, especially my uh, current uh, corporation, One Balloon Corporation. Mm -hmm. So the uh, One Balloon Corporation is an uh, independent uh, emerging markets focused Mm -hmm. uh, business management uh, related professional harm firm, main base actually in the greater Tokyo area, Japan, but operating yeah. globally uh, with the emerging markets, mainly like growing Asia, uh, like Southeast Asia, uh, mm -hmm. Southeast Asia, like India and Middle East and Africa. These three regions mm. are our main, you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, markets we are focusing on. Mm. You know, why did you start this business? You, you've come from sort of, you know, a, a deep, deep-rooted positions in corporations. Why did you start this business and move from corporation into the sort of entrepreneurial world? Uh, that's actually a very good question. Of course, I was enjoying a lot, you know, mm -hmm. the corporate corporate career in uh, very established mm -hmm. uh, companies, you know, like uh, just like you uh, introduced, yes. uh, explained, you know, Sumitomo Corporation and the Deloitte. Um, but, you know, uh, when I was, you know, working there for, you know, five years, six years, seven years, I just noticed that that is not much my place, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to, to work more than like uh, 10 years, you know, mm. 15, 20 years, because, you know, uh, it's more like, uh, you know, corporate career. So uh, we have to follow something, right? Mm -hmm. uh, with yeah. something. And mm -hmm. uh, and everything and much more like established, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I I was feeling that I I I I I wanted to start something new things, you know, from scratch. Yeah. And yeah. being a strong independence, you know. Right. And okay. and also yeah. It's okay. So the, so and you are here today. Um, granted, this is currently a pending matter, but can you tell me? what One Bloom Corporation did in the past as an official country representative for Japan. What was the nature and objectives of this representation? Uh, yes, that, that's the presentation of show country representative of Japan for uh, Africa Trade and Investment Global Summit. We call mm -hmm. it EIGS. Actually, in uh, 2018, it, the first edition was hosted in the uh, United States, you know. Mm -hmm on uh, June 24th to 26th in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And uh, that event actually uh, with more than like uh, 2,300 delegates from uh, 92 countries, 
mm-hmm. and uh, we had a great success for the uh, for the hosting country sponsors and participants, and uh, you know a lot of deals was sub- submitted even to be showcased in the events deal rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had a lot of success in uh, sort of that event to promote Africa to the world. And me, myself, and my One Bloom Corporation was actually selected as the official country representative of Japan. Mm-hmm. And we actually had been mainly conducting certain type of like marketing sales, business development, and promotional related activities of ATIGS programs mm-hmm. in Japan to maximize the number of professional stakeholders, participants, and partnerships from Japan and the Asian region. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end, we started making some recognition and exposure of that ATIGS event in, in that mm-hmm. region, which can mm-hmm. which can link to actual increasing number of Asian involvement and interest to ATIGS mm-hmm. programs and Africa. That was actually first edition. And at the same time, we and uh, uh, me myself, we had advised uh, CEO and founder of that ATIGS about the project strategy, etc. Specifically within uh, Asian region, in not only short term but uh, also mid to long term basis, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. And of course, personally participated. Uh, mm-hmm. You you talked about some of your achievement. What 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 were the things that was happy about this um representative um role that you you on you took undertook I should say. Yeah, of course, through the program, we had a lot of success. Uh, but also, uh, you know, before the COVID happened, uh, we actually had been leading team mm. to ATIGS in Japan, uh, near future edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was our plan, you know. And we were actually officially uh, selected and invited at Japan Meet Program in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a country representative of this ATIGS, uh, that program was actually organized and programmed by Japanese government, mm-hmm. Japan National Tourism Organization, like under Ministry of Land and Land Infrastructure, Transport and Tourism Japan. Mm-hmm. And we were actually invited into that program. And then they are actually asking us to host that type of event in Japan. So we were seeing and we were expecting the another, you know, uh, prospective uh, uh, event in the future mm-hmm. uh, in the second edition in Japan or third edition in Japan, but the COVID was happened. So mm-hmm. actually, unfortunately, all the things was just stopped and we have yeah. to decide, yeah. you know, uh, we have to make this once, you know, being being pending, pending, pending. Yeah. That was actually the yeah. final thing. Yeah. Yeah. COVID has a lot to answer to, hasn't it? Um, okay, you you wrote an article, uh, sort of like a while back now, um, in relation to our back and forth in organising this episode. The article was titled Upcoming Key Trends of uh, Japan with Emerging Markets. Mm. I've read it, but can you provide a summary of its content and your findings to my listeners? Yes, uh, through the newsletter and article, we are sometimes, you know, briefly featuring about certain upcoming t- key trend of Japan with emerging emerging markets, and of course, emerging market is my market, you know, as a profession, as a professional. And in that article, we actually touched about the number of foreign nationals uh, residing in Japan, mm-hmm. hitting a 
record high of over 3.2 million in 2023, as more workers entered to meet demand created by the Japan country's labor shortage. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are talking about that, actually, in that article. And uh, such labor shortage and the population decrease matters are actually now mentioned anywhere in Japan now. And that trend wouldn't be stopped too long. And at the same time, the Japan would need to attract more high-skilled and experienced professionals and entrepreneurship-minded talent as well, even mm-hmm. from emerging markets, having authentic ambition to make something new happen, not only in Japan, but you know, from Japan to global fields, trying to inspire mass workers and management leaders in Japan who don't have actual sense and capability of doing so. And fill the gap. So now Japan started to planning to let foreign entrepreneurs live in the countries for two years without a place of business or investment, looking to help them get the business off the ground by easing residency, residency requirements. So talents from emerging market would continue to be the key in that space. So Japan needs them. And at the same time, the talent and the entrepreneur, even from even from emerging markets, have various type of opportunities. Since Japan's venture sector is less mature than that in the U.S., etc., mm-hmm. and the lacks of talent to support it, that means that there are still a plenty of spaces to enter in. If say talents from emerging markets can successfully enter the market with light local support and win-win collaboration, that the thing that that type of things was actually uh, mentioned in that article. And uh, that is just one part, but there are so many key spaces and opportunities, both for emerging markets and Japan, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. strong strong mutual synergies and a complement. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would keep featuring about that in that newsletter and article spaces, but that's the things I I wanted to say in that article, and I and I just wanted to share that things to the you know mm. our, our leaders. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, you, you, you talk a lot about um, emerging frontier markets. Currently, mm. where is your focus? Where is One Bloom Corporation focus? It could be a country, it could be a sector. Mm. Where is your, your, you know, where where are you pinpointing at the moment? That's a very good question. Of course, emerging market is big. Yes. So the, of course, some pinpoint. I mean, the key uh, nations, of course, mm. in uh, Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we have been working with most of, you know, uh, big nations in Southeast Asia, but currently, like Indonesia, mm-hmm. Vietnam, and the Philippines, uh, the three yes, nations yeah. we, uh, we have a more, in, now, you know, at this moment, interest to engaging with. Uh, I'm not saying that I don't have a any interest to other nations in Southeast Asia, like Thailand, Singapore, yeah, Malaysia. Yeah. But they're very interesting. You know, Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, because our population is huge. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things are, uh, you know, changing. And mm-hmm. the, the number of the talents, young talents there, followed, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Yes, yes. And of course, uh, the industry of uh, certain startups, things. Mm-hmm. Every day, the things, as things are changing and going on the proceeding. So mm. that's three nations in the same market we are actually mm. more focusing in us. So, so, in us. Okay, mm. that makes that makes sense. So, so what about the sector? What sector are you focused? Because you, I know you've worked across the board. But where's your main focus now? We, uh, yes, of course, we are sometimes asked about that questions, but uh, strategically and uh, practically, 
we are not much having the core sector mm. uh, in through our advisory services because we are working with a lot of corporates, you know, uh, not only from Japan, but even other nations as well. And uh, each companies uh, have a different type of sectors, you know, not yeah. only one. So uh, we actually having a lot of experiences in a lot of sectors. We are having a lot of data and information in a lot of mm -hmm. industries. Mm -hmm. But that, that, that's mm -hmm. actually part of our strengths when we work with, you know, a certain corporate. Uh, so you work across the boards. But if you look at, I don't know, technological development at the moment, wouldn't you say technology, digital, is that an area uh -huh. that you're really focused on as opposed to mm -hmm. being agricultural? And But even in agricultural, there's a digital element, there's a technology element that you, you'd be concentrating on. Mm, mm, mm. Yes, that that's true, and and uh, of course when we work with startups in uh, emerging market, even in uh, Southeast Asia, yeah. digital and the technology related uh, uh, companies like uh, startup ventures, mm -hmm. they are the main, you know, the uh, clients and sometimes partners uh, yeah. for us. Uh, that's why we are, have to focus on such type of like technology driven. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Including yeah. a lot of types, you know, fintech, agritech, yeah. food tech, uh, mm -hmm. a lot of types. But mm -hmm. of course, mm -hmm. technology driven. That's okay. the one. That's good. Mm. I'm, I'm glad you actually mentioned um, fintech because I, I want to focus the next few questions in that space um, mm. because the, the the series is in the financial space and I want to talk and sort of, you know, influences in that space. Um, part of your portfolio of services include financial advisory in the emerging markets. Um, given the markets you work in, I'd like to ask a few questions in this space. The first being, what risk management advisory do you provide and how does it differ depending on the country or region? Yes, uh, our, our financial advisory services is just part of our, you know, uh, professional. Yeah, no, I should have started it by saying you, there is a portfolio of services yeah. and I just wanted yes. to focus in that area, but carry uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when we talk about specifically like certain financial related advisory, uh, actually the main things we do is uh, we work mainly with, uh, just like I said, uh, we work with uh, early stage startup ventures mm -hmm. uh, in emerging market. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, of course, they're always looking for certain, you know, uh, investment partner. Uh, yeah. Uh, as an equity or debt, or it depends on the case, mm -hmm. but they're looking. So, so uh, in case we work with them, we have a contract and a certain partnership with them, and we try to develop certain win-win matched uh, strategic investment opportunities uh, with certain, especially established uh, corporate, mm -hmm. uh, like from Japan, uh, mm -hmm. based on their startup ventures, business features, and the plan and strategy, and the established corporate side having startup investment and the business calculation master plans and the strategies. Of course, depends on, you know, uh, depending on each opportunity and case by cases, uh, mm -hmm. case by case basis, but we would have the ventures, sometimes equity through the deal and try to co-learn and uh, co-work the business journey, especially uh, for mid to long-term perspective, closely along with their founders, and the management mm, leaders mm, and mm. To, to try maximizing the ventures potential in global fields uh, together, utilizing and inputting well our retained expertise, knowledge, information data, 
resources, trust and network, the skills, et cetera, uh, into them. So our strengths, of course, global views, and uh, we're having a lot of, you know, the corporate uh, list and the networks and the, uh, knowledge, et cetera, with Japanese corporate. As you know, Japanese corporate now are pretty much active, you know, to collaborate mm -hmm. and uh, the investment uh, mm -hmm. things. So that's one one of the things we are uh, uh, focusing on right now in this type of in that type of like financial advisory. But again, financial advisory is just one part of our professional services. Mm -hmm. So what we provide, I mean, what the services we provide, of course, depends on uh, what type of needs and demand that our clients have. Uh, but in terms of that financial advisory, we are doing that type of things with especially mm. with early stage startups. Of course, between early stage startups in an emerging market and established corporate yeah. like yeah. Japan. I, th yeah. I, th I think there's an interesting dynamic with the early early stage startups and the emerging markets. And let's just concentrate on that for the time. Yeah. In, in in terms of, I don't know, capital structure optimization. How would you um, evaluate the most efficient and effective capital structure for such startups in in the context of the uh, emerging market markets? It's like, how do we evaluate the value of the startups, you mean, right? Yeah, in terms of the capital structure, how do you sort of ensure optimal, I don't know, do you do it through market analysis? I mean, do you look at, I don't know, local financing opportunities? What do you mm. do in terms of um, optimizing mm. that structure? Um, of course, we have, you know, a certain type of like uh, criteria. Uh, yeah. uh, investment criteria and requirement, mm -hmm. you know, uh, to the early stage startups. A uh, lot of things uh, included on that. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the main, I mean, one of the key uh, criteria is that whether they have a strong vision mm -hmm. uh, to go to the global market, you know, mm. uh, not only in their domestic market, even even though like the nation is very much so, uh, so big nation, but mm -hmm. we have to uh, you know uh, we we have to have their startups like having the strong vision to go to the global market. That mm -hmm. that's a very much one of the key you know uh, create mm -hmm. criteria mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. we have uh, mm -hmm. when we work with uh, such type of startups in emerging markets. Mm -hmm. and that, think... That's because that's one part of our strengths, you know. Yeah. Uh, when we provide these type of services. All right. And I was, I was just thinking because of the 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 added thing of emerging markets, we probably need to look at sort of currency considerations. I mean, that's an interesting mm. one. We look at currency and foreign exchange management. Can you sort of, I don't know, perhaps elaborate on how you would develop strategies to manage currency risk in international transactions when you're helping these you talked about them the vision and looking to work in the international markets you know more how would you advise on edging mechanisms to protect against exchange rate fluctuations you know that's typical uh, that occurs in the in emerging markets yes currency things yeah in, yeah in the emerging market of course it's not easy you know it's not easy to to monitor and manage hmm. and Especially yeah. such type of like early stage startups, they are yeah. always with a difficulty uh, to manage uh, that type of things. But in our view, that's why their startup ventures have to go to global. Uh, you know, uh, 
trying to minimize the risk, mm -hmm. uh, trying to work with uh, various type of currency uh, things so that they can somehow, <laughs> you know, uh, allocate mm -hmm. and minimize the currency, you know, the uh, downturn risk, you know, because some, sometimes that one currency is going up, but sometimes you know, another one is going down. So like, so they can sometimes balance, you know, the risk. And that's why, I mean, the global strategy is very important in our view, even to minimize such type of like, you know, currency risk. But even with startups in some of these emerging markets, you would advise that they not just have a vision, but they as, as quickly as possible get into the international space. Is that what you're saying? Yes, 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 yes. All right. Okay. Okay. Um, let's have a quick question on sustainability and social responsibility. Um, mm. While to incorporate ESG factors um, into financial decision-making is now a sort of a norm in the West and many countries in the East. In some emerging markets, you know, the markets that you heavily work in, this is considered a luxury that they cannot afford at the moment, even though you're telling them to go you know, diversify and go into these national markets. How do you advise in such circumstances? That's that's actually a very interesting point. And uh, but of course, at this generation and the today's world, um, emerging markets and the corporate operating uh, within in emerging market is not like the exception. You know, in their mm -hmm. such ESG ESG factors mm -hmm. as a global perspective. For example, like. Global companies having headquarters in Japan, they have the more currently required the environment mm -hmm. and social and governance factors, and the, even the quality from uh, you know uh, the required from any of the key investors worldwide, right? Mm -hmm. So even they having businesses and operations within emerging markets worldwide started being widely and uh, deeply monitored, and required the full traceability of their mm -hmm. business value chains and the supply chains. Like global topware brand, like maybe, you know, like Uniqlo, they're, you know, required such type of things so uh, strong right now. And the thing is that that type of corporate have been evaluated more well in the stock market with solid financial growth result in the mid to long term than other traditional mindset companies having less sense and interest to such uh, ESG factors. Mm -hmm. So the movement have been already reaching to emerging markets as well, in my view. So my advice to local corporate, for example, in emerging markets, the more you can be sensitive and active to their ESG factors, the more you can grab their variable business and collaboration opportunities with globally top valued corporate, like from Japan and worldwide. Mm -hmm. The top valued corporate, not no matter their corporate and the business size, but they are severely watching and analyzing the seriousness to such ESG factors in any type of you know collaborations and the partnerships mm -hmm. with external uh, players. You know we are working with such type of top established corporate. That's why we know that things mm -hmm. how they are serious mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. But the, mm -hmm. but they have they have to balance that with their cash flow they have to balance that with costs they have to balance that with yeah, yeah, yeah. liquid and that is as i say is more of a luxury that some yeah. cannot afford 
So while it's good to say yes in order to get into the international space, in order to be taken seriously on the international level, you need mm. to um, up your um, ESG um, credentials. But mm. you know, it's easier said than done because you have to. They have to start from somewhere, and, and something has to give in order to maintain a, a, um, a liquidity of, of of their corporation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's why, of course, not easy topic, you know, uh, yes. of this. Of course, of course, they, uh, as you said, you know, they have to balance that type of things, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, this is one part of the cost they have to bear. But that has to be like upfront investment uh, uh, view for their top leaders and the management. This is not like cost, but upfront investment. So it's just, you know, a type mm-hmm. of like, uh, way of thinking maybe but uh, in the mid to long term perspective like uh, the next 10 years 15 years 20 years I think uh, you know if they can invest uh, something to this ESC factors at this moment mm. uh, I think they can have uh, more more like you know the profit and revenues yeah it'd be interesting to see over the period over the years when it stops being considered a luxury and mm. absolutely considered a necessity, even for emerging marketing, emerging market startups. Then mm. you know where we at in terms of all of that. That that'll be interesting to see because you said over 10, 20 years. I suspect it might be a lot sooner that mm. we have to sort of get on board in that space. Mm-hmm. But in in our view, when you know working with startups in emerging market. Uh, we feel that they are the founders and the you know uh, of the startups. They are more sensitive to ESG mm. factors because yeah. they're young, you know. Yes, yes that's yes. why they are learning a lot about the such type of things, you know, environment, social impact, mm-hmm. you know, governance mm-hmm. type of things. That's uh, why they are more sensitive mm-hmm. and so they are more positive right now. You know? mm. So they must have costed it into the whole business plan. So that's that's interesting. Okay, yep. uh, let's look at investments. Let's look at investments in fintechs themselves. Um, what does the landscape look like at the moment for fintechs and their subsets? Uh, and where is the focus most in the emerging markets in this in the places that you're pretty much focused on in as well? Yes. So uh, before we before we talk about that, so g- generally speaking, you know, for example, like uh, across Southeast Asia. Um, approximately the, like a two two hundred ninety million people there, mm-hmm. they, they do not have or have a limited access to official banking financial services. Mm-hmm. Two hundred ninety million people, you know, mm-hmm. according to from World Bank. So that is somehow similar even in other emerging Asian nations like India, you know, those nations mm-hmm. and even African nations. So generally speaking, there's a lot of room for fintech businesses and uh, fintech services to prosper there and a lot of things going on in in, in each ground. And and we can see through our experiences and our interactions with various venture capitals and the startups in that emerging market Mm -hmm. that there's so many ways and various type of business models taking places, mainly by ambitious startups, ventures there, but we can see the core and the common things are strongly rooted inside their startup founders and the management leaders' heart. You know, that is to solve the social and economical challenges facing to their customers and the change the legendary and the traditional status quo there. Mm-hmm. 
and trying to give more opportunities to underserved and underestimated uh, segment people there. So for investors to search fintech sectors there, it is not much matter what type of trend and the predominant mm -hmm. focus is going on, on the ground. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, I think we have to carefully see how much of each fintech business's impact to their serving yeah. people yeah. on the ground and how much of the value yeah. to solve and add value to their people's lives there. You know, that that that's what they are doing on the ground, you know, fintech startups, yeah. uh, founders and the management leaders. A very interesting, you know, aspect. Yeah. But but mm. this this question, I'm I'm always fascinated by something like this, but this question is in terms of what are sort of Japanese and venture capitalists talking to you about and what mm. are startups saying? You know, where do they not have a meeting of minds in this dialogues? Where, you know. What are you hearing from both sides of the party? And you're thinking these guys are not on the same page with this. What 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 would that be? What would that this be? Uh, yeah, interesting question actually. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, of course, the people in uh, uh, like investor from Japan, for example, like uh, like people from uh, established corporate and uh, venture capital, mm -hmm. uh, even. Uh, of course, they are pretty much active to invest in such type of fintech uh, uh, ventures. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes uh, they don't know much about like the mentality of the uh, startup ventures uh, founders mm. and management leaders. You know, just like I just like I said, you know, their internal uh, heart, mm -hmm. you know, their mission and vision in their nation. Uh, because they have a strong vision and uh, mission to change the you know status status quo on the ground through the fintech businesses, mm -hmm. but uh, you know uh, venture capital from established corporate, the people from there, uh, you know they are not much uh, uh, understanding about that things. That's mm -hmm. uh, that's what they are seeking more like you know. Uh, my return, my return. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, just like, just money, and just like yes, you know the return, yes. etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the, the next three years, you know, four years, five years, what type of you know how much revenues are you you know are you planning to earn, etc. So this type of like very boring questions, mm -hmm. you know, uh, can be asked from such type of like established corporate side people, and sometimes making something you know uh, mm -hmm. between their mentality. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's one of the, the difficulty, uh, be, uh, you know, taking uh, I mean happening between them, and uh, we have to somehow solve that type of things, understanding each side main man, mentality and uh, you know and, and, and mindset, and that's that's one of the things I think we 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 saw on the ground, uh, mm. and and the somehow challenges you know are facing yeah. between them, yeah, the mind, the yeah yeah mindset mindset and the mentality to the you know, uh, uh, businesses and uh, uh, ventures to change the status quo on the ground. Mm. Okay. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Uh, let's look at something a little lighter, I think. Um, let's look at sort of inspirational individuals. Um, effectively, you, you know, from you as an influencer to wow. who influences you, um, Hiroyuki. So, so mm. in banking, finance and fintech, because of the series, who influences mm. you and why? You know, name a maximum of two individuals. 
of course, we have a lot of options. I mean, we met with so many, you know, uh, yeah. the people and ventures in in on that fintech spaces. Um, but today, I just you know uh, try to pick up uh, two ventures, mm -hmm. uh, fintech ventures, mm -hmm. uh, in Vietnam. Uh, very interesting business model and uh, even the personality of their founders. Mm -hmm. uh, one is a uh, Lutopia. Uh, P2P lending platform for uh, educational services mm -hmm. uh, in Vietnam. Uh, just for your uh, uh, learning uh, regarding public research on education uh, from the Vietnam National Institute of Educational Sciences, mm -hmm. the number of students in, in Vietnam has been increasing in the last 10 years, uh, mm -hmm. I think, came age. And still, but still, uh, four point seven percent of the children at the age of five have yet gone to school. Hmm. So the rate of educational transferring in the students declined, especially from secondary to high school, hmm. like a percent to sixty nine percent, regardless of the uh, indicated eighty percent rates from education strategy. Mm -hmm. Vietnam strategy, uh, 2011 to 2020. So the graduation rate from universities also experienced a downtrend to 11.4% in 2020 mm -hmm. compared to 2015. You know, uh, so the inability, inability to afford expenses has emerged as one of the causes of this educational decline in Vietnam. So many families have decided to take uh, mortgages, Mortgage, however, mm. you know, banks and traditional finance companies there show shortages in offering loans, especially for educational expenses. Mm. So, mm. acknowledging the circumstance, Lutopia, that venture, um, Edo FinTech startup, we call, they're trying to solve that puzzle by providing financial loans for uh, educational, educational demands in Vietnam. So the Lutopia is actually potential one of the potential uh, good candidates for supporting the Vietnamese education ecosystem by solving financial demands. The startups introduce a multi-sided platform that receives financial requests from uh, families and on another end, raises mm -hmm. funds for those requests. So eligible requests are the ones that send sufficient proof of study and information on the platform. Families actually only need to pay interest and the service fees in advance, then the remaining balance in installments. So as long as providing sufficient proof, students can request credit payments for all study courses, such as CFA, MVA, and art. For, so for students who have yet to earn a stable income, parents will be the even the ones who register for them. So employees with constant earnings who wish to continue studying they can even register themselves. So the Lutopia is actually pro, you know, progressing in partner, partnering with public and private institutions from different education levels and the tutoring centers to approach more customers. In this sense, education organizations can work directly with Lutopia on payments while eliminating lengthy fee collecting procedures. It relieves financial burdens for learners and prevents certain dropouts Despite its early stage, Lutopia actually has established connection with over 60, 60 schools so far. And the startup still aim to, aim, aims to expand, expand its network to more than 10 cities and provinces 
you know, where parents have long-term plans for their children education. So generally speaking, in emerging nations, not only Vietnam, but also others, the issue of such, you know, uh, solving financial expenses in education always exists, not only in Vietnam. And local banks and the tra traditional finance organizations up to now, they haven't made a little progress in introducing a strong demand and impact, Lutopia's impact to their society and the economy on site in an entire Vietnam and even further as the Southeast Asian nations market. Resonated and inspired by their strong vision in supporting millions of Vietnamese students to earn a better education and uh, maximize each of the having potential. That's one of the, you know, adventures I was resonated and inspired uh, very strongly. Mm. Well, it seems like it, because you've spent quite a bit talking about it. We could almost have an episode just solely on this inspiration mm. of your of yours, um, Hiroyuki. Um, okay. Um, mm. For the for the final question on Headstall, let's look ahead. Um, if we were to have a conversation next year about trends in fintech and with mm. with emerging markets, what do you think we will be talking about? In my view, I think the topic must be like business co-creations and uh, collaboration matters between the fintech startups in the emerging markets and the global established corporation, like from Japan uh, and uh, even worldwide. And the actual you know, mutual synergies and the complement taking place uh, on emerging markets. That's actually uh, my idea you know, of the topic mm -hmm. in, 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 in the next, you know, uh, in next so topic. More, more collaborations between established corporations and fintechs, that's what you're saying. Yes. That's, that will be yes. the topic. Interesting. You know, we, we've had this conversation, what is it now, um, 30, 40 yep. minutes, and you've not really talked about AI, you've not talked about generative AI, you've not talked about um, artificial general intelligence in any shape or form. Mm. You don't think that will be a conversation um, in a year's time? If we were to have a conversation in a year's time, you don't think any of that? But you think more collaborations, which is kind of already being done across the globe and I assume in Japan between fintechs and large corporations. You don't think something like that will be the topic that's on everybody's lips? Yes, yes, that's 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 a good idea, actually. And uh, of course, we can talk about the certain collaborations, things which can be already, you know, uh, taking place uh, on the ground. But of course, uh, uh, we can even talk about like certain future type of like, you know, technology, uh, things like AI, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, which can some definitely, uh, you know, somehow uh, uh, link to uh, this type of like fintech, you know, startups mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. technology matters and in, in the start in, in, in emerging markets. And we are not talking about that today. Mm -hmm. So definitely we can even try to choose that topic as well mm -hmm. in the next, yeah, okay. Okay. session. Um, Okay, um, Hiroyuki um, Ito, mm. it's been a pleasure. Many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you very much, Elaine. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders and heads of multinationals.
Talk podcast with your host Elaine Pringle Schwitter.